0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are the God of gods, the Lord of lords, O God. You created all things. You have rescued us, O God. You provide for us, O Lord, and you have prepared a place for us. You are good, O God. You are the King of heaven. You rule and you reign over all things, O oh Lord. God, would our eyes be taken off of self and would there, would our gaze be put upon you? O oh Lord, show us your glory. Show us who you are. Lord, for the one here today who has not confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, would today they see the King of kings and believe. Lord, for the one who is here who has for so long walked away from the faith you have provided for them, who have grieved the Holy Spirit, would they come back today and dedicate themselves to God? Oh Lord, would you do this work among us, oh God. Please, oh Lord, your grace is irresistible to us. Oh Lord, please do what you will in this place. Lord, all is yours and we're here for you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please take your seats. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. My name is Daniel Meyer. I serve on staff here as the director family ministries. It's a joy to be able to go through God's word with you this morning. We're in Psalm 136. So please open up your Bibles, grab a Bible, and turn to Psalm 136. And we're going to go through this psalm line by line, and we're going to explain what this psalm meant to Israel and what it means to us today. This psalm has some incredibly amazing truth in it. Mainly, um, there's a little repetition in it, but the steadfast love of the Lord endures Forever, And we're going to look at that, but I don't want to just look at what this psalm says. I want to also look at how this psalm is used. This psalm has a pretty cool history in Israel. It was sung out loud by the entire congregation of Israel on two occasions that we know of, at least. First, in 2 Chronicles 7, uh, King Solomon has just finished building the temple... And all of Israel is there, and they sacrifice many animals to consecrate the temple to God. And then he instructs the priests and the Levites to sing this psalm. And they all do together. If you know the history of Israel a little bit, you'll know that after Solomon, there was more kings and more kings, and they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And eventually, the Lord got fed up with their unfaithfulness and sent the Babylonians in. And the great kingdom of Babylon by, with he, um, Nebuchadnezzar came in and sacked the city of Jerusalem, took the Israelites um, as uh, uh, slaves over to Babylon, and destroyed the temple. And the temple was in ruins. Many years later, Men like Nehemiah and Ezra and others came back to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the wall. They rebuilt the temple. And in Ezra 3, once the temple is ready, they dedicate the temple to God and they sing this psalm. It's a psalm of dedication. In the psalm, there's 26 verses and each of them end with the same phrase. For the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. And when the Bible says something 26 times in the span of 26 verses, we better pay attention. Amen? The psalm of dedication was completely about who God is. There's no therefores in this psalm. There's no moment where it says, okay, this is who God is, therefore Israel do this. It's all about praise and acclamation to the glory of who God is and what he has done. It's fully about who he is, and not about who Israel is. They, dis- they dedicated the temple with this psalm. So for us, what is it to be a dedicated person? What does that mean, to dedicate? What does it mean to dedicate ourselves? Well, we use this language often, dedication. We might even write it in our resume, right? I'm a very dedicated person. Right? And we say, I'm dedicated to my work, or I'm dedicated to my family, and maybe your future employer will ask you, okay, well prove to me that you're a dedicated person. What, I, what do you mean by that? And then you'll show your nicely framed certificate that says employee of the month. right? and I sold the most uh, product last month or whatever, and I am, I'm a dedicated employee, and look at my family. They're so well put together, and they're nice, and they're loving, and they're great. I'm dedicated to my family. I pour into them, and, and all of those things are good. Nothing evil or wrong about that. We should be dedicated in that way, but that's not the kind of dedication that is going on here. There's a different kind of dedication See, that dedication really focuses on what I'm doing, that how much I work, how much effort I put into something. That's, that's the dedication we often talk about, but there's another kind of dedication. It's the dedication of the hopeless romantic who stands up on a stage with his guitar and he dedicates a love song to his sweetheart. It's the kind of dedication that a novelist has at the beginning of a book they wrote, and they dedicate the novel to someone who meant a lot to them or taught them a lot. See, it's not about who they are, it's saying, because you are so lovely, or because you are so great to me, I've dedicated this whole thing to you. That's the kind of dedication we're talking about here, and that's the kind of dedication the Israelites were doing while singing this psalm, not looking at their accomplishments or their commitment or their work, but everything was about who God is. They use it to dedicate the temple twice. And we need to dedicate ourselves to God. Not in the sense of I'll work harder, but in the sense of everything I am is yours because of who you are. See, we learn in 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul, when talking about how we should use our bodies not for sexual immorality, he says this. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you have from God? You are not your own, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You see, the Israelites had the physical temple where God dwelt, where his manifest presence was, but us as believers in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has come into us and sealed us, and now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we must dedicate ourselves, our being, everything we are to God, not because of our accomplishments, but because of who he is taking our eyes off of self, and setting our gaze upon God. And this is what this psalm is all about. So what is my song of dedication? What is my song of dedication? So I've divided the text up into four different sections, and we're going to walk through this psalm verse by verse. The first section is one through nine, and our first point is this. My song of dedication must give thanks to God for who he is For his steadfast love endures forever. Look at verse 1. It says this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is good. Some of us just need to hear that this morning. The Lord is good. Through everything, he is good. Good. Through trial and through joy, he is good. He uses everything. He works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. He is good and he deserves our thanks and our worship. Charles Spurgeon put it this way when referring to this verse. I love what he said here. He said, He is beyond all others. Sorry, He is good beyond all others. Indeed, He alone is good in the highest sense. He is the source of good, the good of all good, the sustainer of good, the perfecter of good, and the rewarder of good. Everything that is good gets its goodness from the good one. He is goodness. He is good. Nothing is good apart from him making it good. We depend on the goodness of the Lord every day. And his goodness is so entwined with his steadfast love that endures forever. And so we pray for it, we sing about it, and we should forever remember this, that the Lord is good. We can't forget that fact. The Lord is good. In verse two he goes on, he says, give thanks to the God of gods. Do you know this? There is no one like our God. He is the God of gods. All other gods are an open shame to his majesty. In fact, there are no other gods, and all other gods are just made-up figments of our imaginations or demons pretending to be God, but they're all false gods, and none of them, even in their made-up attributes, come close to the beauty and the divinity and the trueness and the goodness of who our God is. He is the God of gods. He is over all things. This is the God we worship, and his love endures forever. Verse 3 continues and says, give thanks to the Lord of lords. See, there are many lords in the world, many lords of the manor, all right? Many people who own a little bit of land or own their home or own large swaths of land, but there is only one Lord of lords, and everything is his, and any authority that any person has has derived from the Lord of lords, For he is over all things and sovereign over all things. There is nothing that he does not directly have sovereignty over. And he is the ultimate authority. And he is loving. Imagine a God who has all the authority and no love. What a terrible existence we would have. But our God has a love that endures forever. It's who he is. He is the Lord of lords. When speaking of his perfect lordship, again, Spurgeon says this, he protects the helpless, he provides for the needy, and pardons the guilty. His lordship is perfect. He is the Lord of lords. He owns everything. There's never a moment that he is not ruling over all. We see all of these things that he is good. He's the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. And then we see that he is the creator of all things. That's who he is. In verses 4 and 6, I've put them together here. It says this, to him alone who does great wonders, to him who by understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth above the waters for his steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is creator of all things. Sometimes we need to just take a step back and really think about who our God is, that everything in heaven and on earth was created by his hands. Wow, how great he is. He created the heavens, he created the atmosphere that we have. What a a wonderful idea. It says by understanding he created the heavens. By understanding he knew that we needed breath to live and that every breath we take should then be exhausted out in praise and worship to our Savior. What a great king we serve and what great understanding he has Verses seven to nine put together say this, to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day and the moon and stars to rule over the night. Did you know this, that that God considered every single hour of our day? He didn't leave one hour unattended to, that the sun rules over the day and the moon and the stars over the night. Not one moment goes by without God's light that he created to rule over us. We know that without the sun, There'd be no seasons, there'd be no light, there would be no life, nothing on earth. We know that the moon is a natural calendar keeper for us and also controls the tides in our ocean. We can't even begin to understand, even with all of our telescopes and all of our scientific understanding and all of our everything, we can't even begin to understand the effect that the stars have in our existence and even in our galaxy, galaxy, the millions of stars and the, the gravitational pulls that keep everything together and then the galaxies from galaxies and billions of them together. And for us, what seems so vast and so impossible and so other is easy for our God. I, was, um, I had the, the privilege of going up to our family cottage about a week and a half ago, and uh, I really love it up there. It's so peaceful, and it's away from the city, and uh, once the kids went to bed, it was around midnight, and I said to my wife, Mandy, I said, come on, come with me, Let's just come outside, and she's about seven months pregnant right now, and so any extra activity, she's like, no, no, let me just sit, but uh, I finally dragged her outside, and I said, there's no bugs, please, please come out, and the sun was down, it was midnight, and that night, the moon was actually out of the horizon as well, and I said, come, lie down on the, on the dock, and uh, she's like, but what about spiders, right, and, and I said, don't worry, I'll, I'll protect you from the spiders, so uh we lied down on the dock and we just looked up. And from horizon to horizon to horizon to horizon, just stars. Just painting the sky with the glory of God. Wonderful. Wonderful. Here, here in the city, you know, at nighttime, sometimes we can see like the Big Dipper, and we're like, oh, that's you know, whatever. I, I can see it up there. It's like, where's the Big Dipper? There's so many stars. You can't even make it out. It's amazing, and we're lying there, and I'm just thinking, wow, our God is great. And then all of a sudden, there's this little dot that's coming across the sky. And you're like, is that a star? Wait, no, no, it's moving. It's moving. It's moving pretty fast. And you're like, oh, that's a satellite, right? It's probably connecting all our phones together. And, uh, and you're like, wow, it looks just like a star. And then, and then you realize, I looked this up, the, the, the satellite's about 400 kilometers away from us the nearest star other than the sun to our planet get this 36 quadrillion kilometers away from us that's that's a 36 with 12 zeros after it and in the comparison of the universe i have to take what man has made and shove it right up next to my eye to see what god has made so so far away for them to look the same size This is who our God is. And He knows each star by name. Did you know this that Jesus is the light? That all of the creation, the sun, the moon, and the stars, all of them were created for us, but yet are pointing to that Jesus is actually the light that enlightens our hearts, that shows us the way forward. And one day when we are in heaven with Him, if you believe in Jesus Christ, one day when we are in heaven with Him, there will be no sun because he will be our light. We learn that in Revelation 21, 23. We must dedicate ourselves in our song, our, let our life be a song of dedication to Jesus Christ for who he is, he's over all things, he's created all things. Not only do we need to give thanks to God for who he is, but my song of dedita- dedication must give thanks to God for what he's done our second point for what he's done for his steadfast love endures forever. Let's walk through verses 10 to 15. It says this in verse 10, To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Do you know the story of Israel? The story of Israel, they were uh, enslaved in Egypt for about 400 years. And they had no leader. They had no hope. They had no chance of escape or survival. Pharaoh had his thumb on Israel and was putting them to harsh work. And it was very, very difficult. And there was no hope. He calls Moses, who was a murderer and someone who couldn't speak very well, to lead his people. Praise the Lord that he uses weak men to lead and he can still use them. He has Moses go to Pharaoh, and if you know the story, he says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, God sends plagues. Plague after plague after plague. Pharaoh's heart continually is hardened and will not let Israel go, even after all of these plagues. And then finally the last plague comes. And God says, Moses, this one's going to be a doozy, all right? This one's it. I'm going to send the angel of death to go over Egypt. And I'm going to go over every single house and I'm going to kill the eldest son in every single household except for those who sacrifice a lamb and paint the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. My angel will pass over those houses. And all of Israel that night sacrificed a lamb and they painted the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. The Lord struck down the firstborn of the Egyptians to save Israel. And he struck down his own son, Jesus Christ, to save us. God's sacrifice is his own blood to save us. Jesus becomes the sacrificial lamb whose blood washes over us and God's wrath passes over us. We can see clearly the enduring love that he has for us, the steadfast love as we look to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross for our sins, the price for our salvation. This is what he has done. Verses 11 and 12 continue, and it says, and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and outstretched arm. God brings out Israel from slavery in Egypt. They were enslaved, but with his strong hand, his outstretched arm, he brings them out of Egypt. And just as he brought the Egyptians out of slavery in Egypt, he brings us out of slavery to sin. He has saved us if we believe Ephesians 2, 1 to 5, sums up this concept quite well. It says, and you were once dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We were, by nature, it says, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were enslaved to sins. That was who we are. It's who our parents were. It's who our children were going to be. We were enslaved to sins, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's all we knew. It's all we had. No hope. No future. But God. Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. And just as he saves Israel out of slavery, he saves us out of slavery. And now we are children of the living God. In verse 13, he continues and says, To him who divided the Red Sea in two. So you know the story, right? Israel comes out of Egypt, uh, led by Moses, and, and they start their way over to the promised land, I guess. They're, they're, they're making that way, and they hit the Red Sea. They're like, okay, well, which way do we go? Which way do we go? It's a big sea, you can't cross it. Okay, so which way do we go? We have this whole nation here. And at that moment, Pharaoh changed his mind and said, no, 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 what have I done? Let's go after them. Let's enslave them again. And so Pharaoh grabs his army and they charge after the Israelites. And so on one side, you have the Red Sea. And on the other side, you have Pharaoh and his army. And Israel were between a rock and a hard place, quite literally. So what did God do? He made the impossible situation possible. He split the Red Sea. He divided the waters of the Red Sea so that Israel could walk through To salvation. Do you remember that story in uh, Matthew 8? Remember that story? Uh, Jesus and his disciples, they decide to go for a leisurely boat ride, and they're out on uh, the sea, and um, Jesus is like, I'm gonna take a nap. So he he falls asleep, meaning naps are good, right? And then, um, amen. And then, uh, and then, uh, and then this big storm comes. This big storm uh, comes and is shaking the boat and Jesus is just still, you know, sleeping no problem and they think they're going to die because the storm is so bad and they come and they wake up, Jesus, we're going to die. What are you doing sleeping? And, And Jesus gets up and he just rebukes the weather and the sea calms and in Matthew 8, 27, it says, they marveled and said, what man is this that the wind and seas obey him? I'll tell you what man this is. He's the God-man, and he is the God who split the Red Sea. He is the one who led Israel out. In fact, he's the one who made the Red Sea. Jesus is Lord over all. It is he who split split the Red Sea. It is he who calms the storm. And just as the Red Sea was divided for safe passage of God's people, Jesus' body was broken for our safe passage to salvation. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-four, 24, we see that Jesus, during the Last Supper, broke bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. And he went to the cross and nails pierced and broke his skin, and he was nailed to a cross. His steadfast love endures forever. Do you believe? Do you believe? In verse 14, he continues and he says, the psalmist says, and made Israel pass through the midst. You see, he didn't just split the Red Sea and show, hey, look what I can do. No, 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 he said, now walk through. Walk through the Red Sea. He, he made Israel pass through the midst. Israel, because of the work of God, were able to safely walk through the sea. And in Christ, we are able to walk in this world with level footing, Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden for I will give you rest. Do you need rest? Do you need a path that you cannot earn? Are you trying to swim through the raging sea when Christ has made it possible through his broken body for you to walk on level ground? Do you have this dedication thing sort of mixed up in your Christian walk? And you think that if you just try harder and you swim harder, that you can beat the waves that are crashing in around you, that you can beat sin, that you can fight temptation on your own, that that you can earn favor with God. He provides a way and leads us through the deep waters that would otherwise be all consuming. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that his steadfast love endures forever? That it is available to you today that the seas and the wind obey Jesus? And we have this option before us. Do we believe and walk or do we disbelieve and drown? In verse 15, we see the result of this. It says, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, his steadfast love endures forever. See, after Israel passed through safely, they believed, right? They believed. They were the ones who, who slaughtered the lamb and put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. They believed in the promise of God. They believed in his salvation. They patched through the Red Sea to the other side in safety and being dry. And as Pharaoh saw this, he ordered his army to charge through the walls that God had made with the water. But the salvation was not for them. The walls of the Red Sea came crashing down on Pharaoh, and the same grace that saved the Israelites destroyed the Egyptians. We see this summed up well in 1 Peter chapter 2, 6-10. It says this, speaking of Christ, for it stands in Scripture... are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, have you believed in the truest Passover lamb? the final Passover lamb, the perfect Passover lamb that died for our sins and his blood has washed over us so that we can have safe passage into salvation. Have you believed or are you being crushed by the waves? Here's your opportunity. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Has the gospel to you been a light? Is it something you rejoice in? Do you see who your God is and what he has done for you and does it Does it make you glad or is it a rock of offense and a stumbling block? Please, I beg of you, turn, turn, believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ, his arms are open, his steadfast love endures forever. Trust in him. Our song of dedication believes in Jesus because he has saved us. This is what he has done. Text continues, and we see that we give thanks to God for who He is, for what He has done, but also for what He is doing. He is who He is, and He has saved us. And what is He doing now? For His steadfast love endures forever. In verse 16, it says this To Him who led His people through the wilderness. He led His people through the wilderness. Did you know this? After they get to the other side of the Red Sea, they're like, Okay, where to now, Moses? They're like, Oh, let's go this way. And they end up going through the wilderness for 40 years. Forty years wandering through the wilderness, through desert, and, and really a desert that isn't able to sustain one person. God sustains an entire nation for 40 years in the wilderness. He gives them food from heaven, manna, so that they can eat. And I love this. This is amazing. In Deuteronomy 29, 5, it says that in the 40 years that they were in the wilderness, their clothes did not wear out and their sandals did not wear off their feet. 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out and their sandals didn't wear out. Man, oh man, if my kids' shoes could last more than two weeks, (laughs) right? (sighs) Some of us don't like this miracle because we like to have a wardrobe change more than every 40 years, I'm sure. But the question here is, do you trust God to provide? Do you know who he is? Do you trust that God not only can but will provide? Do you know who you serve? Do you know that you worship a God who created all things, that saved you out of slavery to sin in the most incredible fashion through Jesus Christ that has provided for you in every way you need? Do you I, I fear this that there's people in our church that worship Him with their lips and they say that they believe and they say they believe in his provision but when it comes down to it in their heart and with their hands you don't actually believe in his provision. I have a confession to make. It really broke my heart about a week ago. A thought that came into my mind. I was leaving here on the Saturday night service. I was on my own. I was driving home and I was informed that this really quite large unexpected expense came um, and something that we have to pay. And the thought that entered my mind was, oh, I guess I can't tithe this month. My heart was just broken. Like, Daniel, how evil is that? How evil is that? That I would think for a second that God isn't able to provide that I should take my faithfulness and put it on the altar of what I think is success. It's garbage. It's an evil thought. And, the, and when I came to this part of the passage and preparing for this, I was just brought to tears. Oh, Lord, how evil my flesh is. Who will save me from this body of death? See, in my mind, I failed to believe in who God is. I was thinking worldly thoughts, not the thoughts of someone who has been rescued from slavery and sustained by the outstretched arm, the mighty hand of God. The truth is, I would have nothing without him. And everything I own is his. Do you know that he feeds the sparrow? And he loves us so much more. He'll feed us. He will provide. Will he not be true to those he has saved? Will he not bless the generous in heart and those who sacrifice before the Lord as we've been commanded to do? See, this isn't a sermon about you should tithe or you should give. That's not what this sermon is about. This this is all about do you believe that he will provide? Do you believe that he can provide? Do you trust in the Lord? Because if you trust in the Lord, you will worship him. You will know who he is that he is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, that he is over all things, that he is able to take a nation who had no hope and bring them out of slavery in the most incredible way, who led them through the the Red Sea in the most miraculous way, that fed them in the wilderness for 40 years. He's in control of it all. All of it is his. He even controls how fast your clothes wear out. This is who you serve. Do you trust in him? Do you believe in him? Do you think you can hide from his love? His steadfast love endures forever. Verses 17 to 20 say this, put together, it says, to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan. See, God led his people to the promised land. He had promised this to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and after 40 years in the wilderness, he led them to the the brink of the promised land. There was one problem, though. There were some other people there. And these were great kings. These these were bad dudes, all right? All right military forces like the world has never seen, strong soldiers with full armor and chariots and horses, and a king who ruled and was known. And they were coming, and I mean, this army's coming up against these people that were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and haven't had a change of clothes. They had no business beating these kings. It's insanity, it's craziness. If you saw this fight, you'd cringe. You'd want to close your eyes and not look. And Israel didn't win these wars. God did. God defeated these kings. And what was impossible for man is extremely possible for God. He defeated their enemies. And God will defeat all our enemies. He gets the victory every single time. We can often look at life and say, hey, why am I treated this way? Why have I been cheated? Why have I been beaten? Why have I been hurt so badly? You know, the Lord sees all of it, and he knows, and he has a plan. It says in Romans 12, 19, it says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, thus says the Lord. You are on the winning team. His steadfast love endures forever. Our job in the meantime is to love our enemy, to love our neighbor, to showcase the love of God and the beauty of the gospel, even to those who persecute us. But in the end, God will get the victory every single time. Our song of dedication must be about what God is doing. We must dedicate ourselves to Jesus because he has led and provided for us and he is winning our battles. This is what our God does for us today. Finally, we see this. We've seen that we give thanks to God for who he is, for what he's done, for what he's doing, and for what he'll do. For what he'll do, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verses 21 and 22 put together say this, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. The Lord prepared a place for Israel and gave it to them. They did not earn this. They didn't win it with their skills in war. The Lord did it. The Lord of all the earth, he's the Lord of lords, remember? He transferred the ownership from the kings to the people of Israel. And he has every sovereign right to do so, for it is all his. This is the land he had promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is true to his promise. He is never faulting. He is never failing, even against all the odds. A people who had no leader and no hope, saved out of slavery, brought across the Red Sea, provided for in the wilderness, and beat these mighty kings. He is always true to his promise, even against all the odds. There's not a time he will fail. There's not a time when he is faulting. And you know he's preparing something for us. I love this in in John 14, in child, in verse two, he, he, Jesus is talking. He says, "You know, my father, my father's got a really, really big house. My father's got a really big house, and I go there to prepare." a room for you. Wow. This house is big enough for anyone who believes. Do you believe? Do you believe? If you believe Jesus is preparing a place for you and what was realized for the Israelites will be realized for us for all eternity. He's preparing a place for you. His love endures forever. He will not fail. Dedicate yourself to Jesus because he has prepared a place for you. The last four verses of this psalm really sum up the rest of the psalm. And I'll read them over you. It says this. Starting in verse 23, it says, It is He who remembered us in our low estate. Remember, He remembered us as we were hopeless, enslaved to sin like the Israelites. He remembered us for His steadfast love endures forever and rescued us from our foes. The enemies were coming after us and He divided the sea. He is doing great work. His steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh he provided manna for heaven, he will provide for you, and he gives you a heritage forever. And then 26, it says, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever, summing up the first three verses of who he is. I mentioned at the beginning of the message that this psalm was used twice in Israel's history, 2 Chronicles 7 to dedicate the temple, and then Ezra 3 to rededicate the temple. And that now we are, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That he dwells in us. He is pleased to dwell with us. Here's my question. What is the state of your temple? Where's it at? Where's it at? Are you, are you a brand new believer? Have you maybe even today for the first time seen the excellencies of who God is and what he has done for you and you've believed in your heart that Jesus Christ truly is the Lord and that he has saved you from your sins and that he died on the cross for you and that he he raised from the dead three days later, that he ascended into heaven, that he is ruling and reigning over all things. Have you just believed? You can pray that prayer now. Lord, I believe in you. Save me and he will and his Holy Spirit will enter you and seal you and you will be his Forever, dedicate yourself. Sing a song of dedication to the Lord for who He is, for what He has done, for what He is doing, and for what He will do. Or is your temple lying in ruins, metaphorically? And like the Israelites who needed to repent and rebuild the temple to seek the presence of God, do you need to rededicate yourself today? You've been a Christian for so long, but you've grieved the Holy Spirit. Time and time again, unwilling to repent, unwilling to turn from the wickedness, not seeking his face, not in prayer. You might say, I'm too far gone. I really don't even desire this anymore. My sin is too great. Do you really believe that your sin is greater than the love of God? Not even close. There is no one person who is too far. There's no sin that is too great for his love. He will forgive. He will never let you go. I love this in 2 in um, Chronicles 7, right after the dedication of the temple, in, in chapter 7, right after the dedication of the temple, they have their big parade and they and they and they dedicate the temple, and that night the Lord appears to King Solomon. It says this in 2 Chronicles 7, God knowing what will happen, knowing that his people will falter, he makes a promise. And this promise is for you today as well. 2 Chronicles seven eleven. it says this, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in his house of the Lord and in his own house he had successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. And I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If you believed in Jesus Christ, he has chosen you to dwell. And like Romans 12 says, that we are to be a living sacrifice to God. And verse 13 goes on, it says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. He's saying, when I send plagues down, because my people have sinned and fallen away from me, when I send plagues to remind them of who I am and what I have done, when I discipline them, verse 14, if, if, if my people who are called by my name, are you called by the name of the Lord? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. It's not too late. Humble yourself. Don't let pride get in the way. What sin is keeping you? What sin is keeping your temple in ruins? What are you sacrificing your body to other than the living God? Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God who is over all things and knows all things and has created all things. Pray, seek his face, turn away from wickedness. He will forgive you. He will heal you. This is his promise to us. He will never stop loving you. He will never stop pursuing you. If you are his, he will never stop loving you. He will never stop calling you to himself. There is no prodigal that is too far gone that the love of the Lord will not embrace. See, death is beaten. Our our, our slavery, we have been released from our slavery to sin. We have been rescued. We have been led and provided for by our Savior. We have been given a place, a heritage forever in his presence to come. Our God is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are good in the highest sense. Everything that is good comes from your hand. And God, you are loving and you are kind. Lord, you see the the wickedness of man and you sent your own son to be the Passover lamb, the perfect lamb to be slain for our sins. Lord, you have done so much for us. You have saved us a a people and individuals who are so far gone and unworthy and unable to do anything on our own, Lord. You saved us. Lord, you provide for us. You love us more than we could ever even know. Oh God, and you prepare a place for us. And Lord, we look forward to the day where we will see you face to face. And God, there will be no sun, but you will be our light. Lord, I pray for the person who is wanting to believe in you, O Lord. Would the gospel of Jesus Christ be a light to them and not a stumbling block? Would they believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation? O Lord, do it now. Please, O God, you are the God who saves. Lord, for the person who needs to rededicate themselves to you, who has been far too long and they need to out loud sing the praises of their king and remember who you are and what you have done for them. What you are doing, O oh God, and the place you have for them, let their lives be a dedication to you. Please, O oh God, help us. We are sinful people who need the mighty hand and the outstretched arm to save us. Oh God, you are good. Oh God, you are so good. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.